0: How fast can you ride 100 kilometers or just about 62 miles? Would you be able to ride it at 20 miles per hour? How about 21 or 22 miles per hour? Well, on today's episode, we'll be chatting with the president of the World Ultra Cycling Association, who just set a new world record in the 60 plus age category by riding just about 25 miles per hour on an outdoor track at the Bristol Motor Speedway. This is one for the record books, so buckle up. I'm your host, Justin 2. Let's roll. Hey, Ultra Family, Justin 2 here, your host of the Ultra Cycling Show. Thanks for tuning in for this very special episode where we'll be celebrating the record setting of Mark Poland just yesterday on August 25th. Mark was a guest on our show previously, where we were talking more about his role as president at the World Ultra Cycling Association, or WUCA as it's abbreviated. And today we get a focus just on Mark as a cyclist, and he really is an accomplished one, and you're gonna love everything that we have to talk about today. He's got a need for speed, and he set a record, maybe even two. We'll hear about that. So Mark, thanks for joining the show again.
1: My pleasure, good to be back, thanks.
0: You look pretty well rested but i imagine there's some pain and some lactic acid still built up
1: (laughs) uh it's not too bad uh it's 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 nothing like a multi-day event uh you know you dig a little deeper for a shorter period of time perhaps uh, but the effects don't last anywhere near as long as they do after you know the multi-days or even the 24 hours
0: right but regardless a huge achievement a huge undertaking so congratulations once again Can't wait to cover it from end to end. We were watching on social media. I know you had people that were helping you with all kinds of live updates from videos and photos. But before then, we'd love to get to know you in a a nutshell as a cyclist yourself. So we'll dive into a sprint round of questions. That's just a series of questions I'll ask you. You can give a short answer. And it's just a fun way that we can get to know you as a cyclist outside of your role as WUCA's president. So first question, Mark, how long have you even been riding bicycles?
1: Uh, I did my first race, so competitively, 50 years.
0: Incredible. How long have you been an ultra cyclist?
1: I guess if I start the clock with my first double century, that would be 12 years.
0: Fantastic. How many bicycles do you own, Mark?
1: Oh, I can't tell you that. That's a secret. (laughs) Uh, I can't afford a divorce. Uh, I I think the number, I'll I'll say it's a two-digit number. How about that?
0: Oh, all right. Well, after 50 years, I'd imagine (laughs) not a three-digit number, though.
1: No, definitely not. Okay, (laughs) great.
0: What's your favorite bicycle? I think you could share that one, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My favorite bicycle is is one that, uh, uh, for my whole life anyway, is one that's hanging on the wall as a broken frame, unfortunately. Mm. It it, um, was a Cervelo R3 SL, Mm. and uh, it just fit, and handled just to my liking.
0: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, always nice. Uh, What bicycle do you ride the most these days?
1: Uh, Well, that changed yesterday. Up until yesterday, it was a Cervelo P3 time trial bike, which I had converted over for track use, so fixed gear. Uh, But I won't be back on that for a little while. I'll be uh, eagerly getting back on the road bike uh, starting tomorrow.
0: Okay, fantastic. Sounds good. Um, what bicycle computer do you use, and what did you use for your record attempt?
1: Uh, I use a Wahoo element bolt oh. and uh, it served me quite well, but I would warn anybody riding on a track that uh, relying on GPS, whether it's wahoo garmin or anybody, doesn't matter. It's the GPS signal. Um, mm. yeah, don't trust that um, that's that's not going to give you reliable data, and I wasn't using it for that. I was using it for heart rate and mm. and uh, cadence and things like that.
0: What's your favorite ride snack?
1: Ride snack. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many options. Yeah. Uh uh there I'll, I'll give you a solid and and uh liquid um okay. the the solid is the Cliff Shot blocks.
0: Okay. And, yeah. And,
1: um the, the liquid is BRL TriFuel, which is, you know, one of the, the electrolyte uh, uh and carbohydrate replacement drinks that uh, I found works really well.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Any particular flavor that you like with the Cliff Shot blocks?
1: <laughs> uh, orange with, uh, I think it's 25 milligrams, not a lot, but a little bit of caffeine mm. just to oh, kind cool. of get that uh, enthusiasm going.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, did you have any of those yesterday on your record attempt?
1: No, I didn't. Actually, I used a, a, uh, something I don't normally use on rides yesterday, just, you know, the level of intensity and the need to, to get that carbohydrate and caffeine quickly mm-hmm. and efficiently mm-hmm. pushed me away from anything solid, even as solid mm-hmm. as the shot blocks. Mm-hmm. And I was doing, uh, the cliff gel shots, uh, went through um. three of those with a little bit more caffeine and a bunch more calories. I'm not sure. I don't remember what the exact count of that was, but yeah, mm-hmm. I went through three gels and, um, close to a gallon of, uh, the BRL tri-fuel.
0: Wow. All right. I'm sure we'll cover all of that and, and more. Do you prefer riding the climbs, descents, rollers, or flats? What kind of rider are you? Uh,
1: uh, you wouldn't, wouldn't know it from yesterday, but uh, I'm a climber. I, I love to climb. I'm a tiny little guy. It doesn't show on the video screen, but uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, a minuscule 125 pounds on average. Um, so I get up those hills a lot more easily than the big guys do. And I love to fly down the hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's my, my favorite. Yesterday, of course, there weren't any hills. Uh, mm-hmm. It was all about the flats. So I like, I like it all. I like to ride my bike. There's a bottom line. Uh, but given awesome. free choice, yeah, climbing is more fun.
0: Yeah, sounds like you're a very versatile rider. I mean, Given that you, you went so fast on the flat, on the track, but yet you're a great climber and you also love the, ter- uh, the downhills. Man, sounds like you're a great rider.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd go, go okay. to great, but uh, I enjoy it, as I said, all, all aspects of that.
0: That's cool. Now, Mark, given that you are also comfortable with the descents and I, I imagine like bombing down them, do you know what your max speed has been over the last 50 years? Yeah, I do.
1: In fact, um, 73 miles an hour.
0: Oh, my goodness. We have a new show record. <laughs> <laughs> I think Marco Ballo held it currently. He said um, 65 miles per hour. Wow. So, so to go eight miles per hour faster than that, I mean, that's a huge deal.
1: Well, I, let me, let me uh, to be fair, uh, speed is, is speed when it comes to handling and nerves and, and, and such. Uh, mm. But I won't claim to have anywhere near either the power of Marco or the gravitational pull of Marco. <laughs> uh, what I did have to hit that 73 uh, was my friend's parents' Chrysler station wagon about three feet in front of me. So I was motor pacing down a hill uh, with with another stupid 16-year-old driving his mother's car.
0: <laughs> well, nevertheless, 73 miles per hour. Jeez, that is incredibly fast. Okay. Time of day that you prefer riding, Mark?
1: Oh, uh, there's something to enjoy about every time. I'm not normally an early morning person. Uh, I like you know, mid days, but I also actually like riding at night. There, there's a certain tranquility that comes with the darkness and, sure. you know, the wildlife uh, and the visibility of of car headlights, right. you know, around that next bend and all that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I, 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 enjoy riding at night, I guess.
0: Yeah. Cool. Do you think ultra cycling requires more physical or mental training?
1: Well, well, oh, that's, I, I you only get you need physical and mental preparation you can only get the right mental preparation from the physical training you you can't go in a corner and meditate and and find the strength to ride ultra distances it's a matter of mental familiarity with that place that your body takes you Mm -hmm. Um, so if the question is what's more important in terms of preparation that's physical what's more important on the day uh, or the week getting to the end, well, yeah, it, it, it absolutely requires that mental preparation as well.
0: Mm. Well said, Mark. And with that, would love to turn to your record setting that you just did. Big congratulations once again. And I think we'll start just by bringing up this um, email and this image that we shared in your last episode prior to the record. I think right. it just it's a great image. And it gives a lot of good information here. So why don't you walk us through just at a high level what we're going to be discussing in more detail and what you just accomplished.
1: Okay. Uh, at, uh, starting at the, uh, the target, obviously, the uh, World Ultra Cycling Association certifies and uh, recognizes records of a variety of types. This one was 100 kilometer fixed distance time trial, so solo time trial uh, on an outdoor track no boards, but also, so a little bit slower, uh, you would expect, um, but also no stop signs or intersections or traffic to deal with. So should be a little bit faster than a road. Right. Um, uh, uh, the graphic, uh, shows over 50, um, to use the, the cliche term, my swim lane is over 60. So, Mm. Uh, you alluded earlier to the idea that there might have been multiple records there uh, it wouldn't really have been or and won't really be um, a, a record if I beat the 50 plus time uh, it's really 60 plus is, is the only record that that uh, I'm, I'm on the fence for mm. um, and that's still to be certified to be validated by Woka. I expect that within a few days um, right. Uh, but I was as a stretch goal, if you will, uh, going after that, that 50 plus time Mm. and excuse me, I don't think I got it, but it's so close that we're still doing the math on, uh, you know, lap prorations and comparing Mm. multiple officials, um, uh, to the second, uh, Mm. time sheets and those sorts of things. Um, um, I'll, but I'll be honest and, and I'll say the best guess, best info I have at this point says that um, I missed the 50 plus record by under one second per half mile lap.
0: Incredible. Incredible. Nevertheless, a huge achievement. Why don't you share some of the details in terms of the the speed or the distance covered or both for right. both the 50 plus and 60 plus to give us all the context of you know, how fast you were really going and and what a big deal it was!
1: Yeah, uh, well, I don't want to uh, say it was a big deal. It was just another ride, <laughs> <laughs> a little harder than I usually go. But um, the uh, the the time again, I'm still doing the final math, but it was very close to two and a half hours. Um, I'll say give or take a minute, if that. Mm. Uh, the old or the the existing uh, fifty plus record is just over. 229, 229 and, and some number of seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I think I'm within about a minute of that and maybe a few seconds ahead. I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I don't think so. Um, the 60 plus record on the other hand was quite a bit um, off of that. It was, uh, I'm just checking my, my cheat sheet here, uh, 255. So, you know, it took about 25 minutes off of that. Uh, I don't need, you know, um, fine tuning of of multiple stopwatches to know. Yeah, I got the twenty five minutes or thereabouts. I, I've got that sixty plus record in the can.
0: Well, wow. yeah, definitely, definitely a good setting there. Now, do you know who held that record previously?
1: Yeah, the uh, sixty plus was uh, Bill Windhorst, uh, and that one happens to be an indoor track. So technically, I suppose he still has the indoor track record um, uh, but, as I said before, you know that as, as cyclists you'll understand an indoor track is obviously faster than an outdoor track is obviously faster than a road so from from my uh, uh, kind of a a distant view you know a high level view i I consider myself to have taken the, the sixty plus hundred k track record
0: yeah definitely, and with a huge margin now that is a fine distinction between the different areas that you can set a record so you can do it on an indoor track you can do it on an outdoor track now is there a third distinction which is not a non-track road
1: yeah yes absolutely okay
0: Okay. and your so then yours was specifically an outdoor track right correct okay fantastic and so talking about the outdoor track that you actually were racing your bike on yesterday to set this record tell me more about that it was the bristol speedway
1: Yes. It's a NASCAR track. Uh, there's a picture of it. Um, and wow, what an incredible facility that is. And everybody that, um, walks into that facility, whether for a bike race, a car race, a record attempt, I don't care. You walk in that facility and you're just awestruck. It is massive. They have a a sign on the, uh, one of the, the 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 boundary walls, the fence wall, perimeter, whatever you want to call it, uh, that says the last great coliseum, and it's it just mind blowing the size of the thing, one hundred and sixty-two thousand seats, wow. and so it's humbling to to be in there on, on a a little bicycle, you know, a third of a horsepower uh, on a good day, um, uh, but it, yeah, it's a great track to ride, and if anybody's thinking about going for records, track records. Um, I can, I can assure you that there's an advantage to being on a half a mile track or even a mile track versus a mm-hmm. typical bicycle track that might be a quarter of a mile or maybe even less. Mm-hmm. Um, the, just the, just the lack of distraction from having to deal with banks and corner tight corners and longer straights and, and just a, you know, a smoother, more evenly paced, um, uh, concentration and, and energy. Is, is really an advantage
0: mm. yeah that's a good point and i i would imagine on this longer track even just the force from all the turns all the banks um you don't have to deal with that as much so just in terms of ergonomics and comfort tell me about that with your ride yesterday i mean you know you're going all out for a short period of time so i'm sure there was a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain you could also touch on that as well um
1: yeah, no, you, you, you're exactly right that, that the Gs that you're pulling on a small, like 250, 350, or 333 typically, uh, uh, you know, cycling track, that wears on you, absolutely. And in fact, um, uh, the gentleman that held the and, and still holds the indoor track record for 60-plus, uh, Bill Windhorst, uh, had commented in his um, uh, record report that the Gs were an unexpected um, – Uh, uh, distraction and burden uh, because uh, as anybody who's who's done the really long racing knows holding your head up over a long period of time is is a real problem neck problems are very common among Mm -hmm. uh, multi-day racers Um, and the g-loading just accentuates that right so your head is actually a pretty heavy object you you put 1.5 g's on it and try to hold that up it's like the heaviest helmet you can imagine it's like trying to hold a a motorcycle helmet up Almost just from the weight of, of your head and pulling those oh So I didn't have to deal with that, thankfully, at all yesterday. Mm. Uh, and, and that was that was nice. Um, yeah.
0: And how many laps did you end up doing to set this record? Uh, 128. Wow, that is a lot of laps. So you were counting down, I suppose. There was uh, some kind of signage or somebody that was telling you how many laps were remaining.
1: Oh yeah. Um, uh, we had the requisite three officials and a, a pretty robust crew in addition to that. So they were giving me the lap counts and the average speeds and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff.
0: Okay. Now, every lap, were you looking up much at all? Or you were, were you just really focused on your, I guess, your GPS, your heart rate, and all of those metrics?
1: Uh, no, I was, uh, you know, like anybody on, on a track, trying to follow as tightly as I could that, that mm-hmm. travel line, that pole line. Uh, We had cones in the corners and, you know, taped line and all that to follow. So uh, yeah, I'd say I spent, you know, 90, I don't know, 95, 99% of the time just staring at that line, glancing down every, I don't know, a few times, at least every lap. So maybe every 15 to 20 seconds, glance down, check heart rate, check speed, and just try to keep that cruise control
0: smooth. Yeah. So we could see you here in position. There's a moto there. Was he ever communicating with you? I mean, did you have a headset of any form?
1: No, no headset. Um, And one of the luxuries and it really is a luxury of uh, being on a car track versus a bike track Hmm. is that um, the moto can come out and do a bottle handoff. So uh, instead of having to either slow down and get a pedestrian handoff Hmm. or come up to the top of the track, and and get a handoff up there or having another cyclist trying to ride at that same speed. Now you've got two people wobbling around to some degree on bicycles, trying to hand up, you know, that, that's just kind of a Mm -hmm. scary thing. Um, The motor, there's a, there's a strict limit for how much time and how often the motorcycle can come out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we only needed to, I think we did two handoffs. That was it. Um, So over the course of two and a half hours, twice he came out and, um, boy, I just, I, I can't say enough about how well he did and, and how, um, uh, how smoothly that all went. The, the, the guy Gabe West is his name and he's a moto official from uh, USAC racing. Uh, so he has a lot of experience riding that big motorcycle around and in close proximity to, to bicycles. And um, uh, what he did was, and it just—it was like clock, like a Swiss watch. Um, uh, I would drop an empty bottle, and on the very next lap, and in fact, the the, the half lap, the back straight after I dropped that bottle, um, and he was coming from a stationary, not even running, you know, start. He was at the official's table. He would jump on that moto, fire it up, get behind me. And on the straightaway, I'd hear a beep, he would just tap his horn. Hmm. I'd put my arm out to the side, and a bottle magically got into my hand. <laughs> and then, nice. as soon as I had a grasp on it, the motorcycle was gone. He just bra- he didn't try to get past me, so there's no question about drafting. He just clamped on the brakes and dropped off. I never literally only saw the front edge of his front wheel, and the bottle was in my hand. Wow. and all that was done without ever coming off of the aero bars incredible so incredible. yeah it just worked super, um, amazingly well
0: yeah it like some her, uh, holding,
1: mm-hmm. yeah holding the bottle out to the side mm-hmm. uh, in that picture my my right arm the the far from the camera arm mm-hmm. hadn't gone out yet but that's just a second before the arm went out to the side the bottle got in the hand and then it was back into the tuck
0: oh yeah. sounds like some precision clockwork that you had going there. Now, was that something that you, you practiced and tested uh, beforehand and even with this uh, particular gentleman? Uh, I've written
1: with him at other events. Um, we had never done uh, track practice together, uh, but he has a, a wealth of experience doing this sort of work uh, up, up to the you know, pro level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm pretty comfortable, we mentioned before, riding 73 miles an hour behind a mm-hmm. uh, car. I'm pretty comfortable around motor vehicles, mm. uh, perhaps um, uh, dangerously so, uh, foolishly so. But in any event, I, I trusted him and uh, he, he did what he needed to do. But no, no, we hadn't practiced that specific handoff at all. In fact, not even once before the, the handoff in the event.
0: Right. Now, how nervous were you, I mean, for this detail about getting the bottles? Now, you said there were only two, so it wasn't, you know, as huge of a deal. But even in, in, in a place like the Olympics, you know, with, with track relays and they're handing off a baton, I mean, they even can drop it at that level. So you must have been thinking about that. Nope. No?
1: Okay. No, It never crossed my mind. I just had complete confidence in Gabe. Right. And uh, I knew he wasn't going to let, and, you know, there's the, the old sticky bottle thing uh there was no sticky bottle there he wasn't going to let go of the bottle until he knew it was in my hand and we were going the exact same speed so oh. unlike you know baton pass in a track race where yeah, yeah. that that would have been more like what i was would have been nervous about which would have been a bicycle doing a handoff right mm. you, now you got two guys at their limit mm. trying to do a handoff with it, that would be a little scary right. in his case he was you know he may as well have been on a, a train on the rails he was just rock mm. steady and so that's awesome easy
0: yeah so it definitely makes a difference who you have on your team the experience not just in terms of the moto i imagine the people that are spectating and also cheering you on and just helping you keep a track of everything um now tell me about the the conditions there in terms of the weather how about the winds were there any stretches that you had a headwind or a tailwind or anything like that
1: yeah i'm afraid so um uh, the weather was good. Don't, don't let me, I'm not trying to make excuses here. Uh, the weather was as close to perfect as you can pick on any given day. Uh, temperatures got, uh, yeah, started around 70 and got to 80. Nobody's going to complain about that. Uh, that was fine. Humidity yeah. was very high, 90%. So that was a little wow. bit uncomfortable, but nobody goes into an event like this thinking, Oh my God, I might break a sweat. That's just par for the <laughs> course. So that wasn't yeah. really a problem either. Um, the winds were, were a little um, uh, surprising to me. Uh, I'm used to riding on a track, used to the effects of a wind that is a headwind on one side of the track and a tailwind on the other side of the track. And you, you got to work with that. You know, you, you try to gain back your average on the downwind side and just deal with it and fight it on the upwind side. Mm. What I've never experienced before was kind of interesting to, to, to see yesterday was the wind was aligned with. Um, the, the apex of the corners. So if you imagine a four corner, you know, oval track one, two, three, four, um, th- that, that tangent that is between turns one and two and turns three and four, that, that that's where the wind was. Mm. So yeah, one side is tail. The other side is, is, uh, head, mm. but the whole straightaway crosswind. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's no winning in the crosswind. You're just <laughs> fighting that extra air mass the whole time. So that was a little frustrating. Oh. Uh, but uh, you know, it it wasn't a strong wind by any means. It was Mm. maybe five to eight miles an hour, just enough that you could feel it, but not enough that I can say it was a big effect.
0: Mm, Okay. Now, good to hear and glad that the weather conditions were pretty favorable. At least you can enjoy a more comfortable ride. I mean, as comfortable as it can be uh, redlining the whole time. Um, tell me about your bicycle setup now. What, what gearing, I mean, how did you set it up? I imagine you were already uh, riding and, and doing all your training on this bike for quite some time, even on the track to get everything dialed in.
1: I, I was, but I actually uh, uh, went through a uh, a big step, took a took a leap, if, if you will. Um, I wasn't intending to ride a fixed gear. I was intending to ride a very tight cluster road bike. Mm. Um, I, I'm not a fan of, for road bikes, uh, the one-by drivetrain, you know, uh, Trend, fad, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, on road bikes. But I thought, okay, for for track, surely a one by is is gonna be fine. So I started with the one by, ended up pulling off or limiting out the the very bottom and top two cogs. So I had a 1218 cassette uh with 46, 48, I'm sorry, 48 up front, pretty tight range. And the more workouts I did on the track, the more I realized the, the path to success here is just a what I call cruise control, you know, like plus or minus a half a mile an hour around your goal. Um, and of course, if you're that tight, plus or minus uh, like two or 3% on speed, well, then you can pick one gear and be plus or minus two or 3% on cadence. So, I did a few workouts with that um, tight cluster um, uh, setup, but consciously um, confining myself to one gear. And when I knew that was workable and felt fine, I said, okay, let's go fix gear, pull off the derailleur, pull off the brakes, which are aerodynamic drag, of course, uh, and another failure mode potentially. You know, you get brake rub or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I ended up going to a complete Fixed gear track setup, just like you would see on a, you know, a Pursuit, a 4K Pursuit, 5K Pursuit, or an hour record sort of setup, rear disc. Uh, I didn't go front disc. Glad I didn't, because that would have been a problem in the wind, but I also didn't have the tri spoke or five spoke wheel, just conventional road wheel up front.
0: Incredible. So how long ago was it that you made that switch? I know you were training for quite some time. I mean, how much time did you have to actually be uh, training on the fixed gear setup?
1: Uh, I'd I have to Well, let's see. I can tell you right here. <laughs> uh, I made that change about six weeks ago. So I had okay. four good track workouts with that fixed gear setup. And probably one or two before that where I was disciplined to not touch the shifter. It was just in that one gear, but no, not, not as a fixed gear with you know, some freewheeling.
0: Right Now, before the actual record attempt that you did, how many times were you getting out to the track in the last couple months to do the training um, a test ride? Was it just like once, uh, once a week and then you were focused on riding elsewhere for all of your power training?
1: Uh, uh, yes, pretty close to that. <clears throat> uh, for about two months, it was once a week with five days in addition to that one day on an indoor trainer Mm. and obviously building, you know, optimizing for that power setting for that duration and so forth. And then for the, about the the last two weeks of the last serious block of training, I was on the track twice a week.
0: Mm. Tell me a bit about your training. What were some of the workouts uh, looking like for you uh, in specific preparation for this?
1: Uh, I'm a fan of Trainer Road, so um, that's what I use to drive my my training. I you know do a little bit of adjustments to the calendar and, and in terms of what workouts I do specifically, but not not a whole lot of adjustment. Mm. Um, uh, and then all of the track workouts were um, developed and strategized or whatever uh, with the assistance of a, a really a, a great guy, great coach I, I, I met recently and started working with. Um, Randy Warren is his name. And, uh, what we were doing was basically saying, okay, pick that target speed. And now let's make, cause you, we know any, any serious bike rider can get on his bike and go the speed that was my target, 25 miles an hour. Right. Um, but now let's see if we can build that from one or two laps to an hour, mm. an hour and a half. Two hours and ultimately 100k. So uh, I had, you know, thanks to the the discipline that that was the result of the plan he and I laid out. Prior to doing 25 miles an hour for 100k, I had with no fanfare, no attendees, you know, no witness, nothing, just a workout day. I had done 90k at that same speed. Mm. So stretch to get that to 100 you know, it it wasn't a a mystery as to whether or not I could do it. I knew it was going to take everything I had because it did to get to 90 before. But I also had that confidence and comfort, the absence of anxiety and stress that comes from having done lots of workouts, very, very close to that distance and speed.
0: Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like you had a really nice ramp up of your training. So you weren't going into it blind. You knew what to expect. You were dialing things in. You were making adjustments along the way. So it sounds like your training really was more focused around the target speed, 25 miles per hour that you wanted to achieve. But at the same time, in terms of structuring your workouts and your training and different metrics, you might've been tracking, you know, did, did heart rate come into play? Did your FTP functional threshold power come into play? Um, Heart rate? Yes. FTP? No. Mm. And obviously
1: it's not that FTP or power doesn't matter. It's everything. Mm. But what I found was, um, Uh, frankly measurement devices and I've got multiple different measurement devices that would supposedly or would claim to tell me my power Mm -hmm. and they do and none of them agree they are so disparate in their data Mm -hmm. that if you fixate and or lock on one that's great if you jump from your trainer to your crank-based power meter to your pedal-based power meter to your rear hub-based power meter, and I've got all of those, every one of those is so different that it's almost unusable data. Um, So don't don't misunderstand. It's not that I'm not a fan of training with power. I am. It's just when it comes to pacing and moving between different devices, it's not reliable data. Yeah, there's a there's a joking expression, uh, a man with one watch knows what time it is. You ever hear that right. one? <laughs> uh, a man with two is never quite sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that aside, heart rate, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had a, a, a target heart rate for uh, the first two hours, knowing I'd lift that governor off for the last half hour. Mm-hmm. But for those first two hours, I think it was plus or minus one beat. It was, oh, incredible. You know, it was, um, uh, 153 to 155. Mm. And, and, you know, there might've been a few second long perturbation, a, a few one or two second long perturbations above or below mm. in those first two hours. Um, but, uh, I, I mentioned probably three on average, three times per lap I would check. And what I'm checking is heart rate. Mm. Um, and it was never, out of that range for more than one glance. Cause if it was above, I'd bring it back down. If it was below, right. I'd bring it back up. It was in that 153 to 155 band that whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as we discussed earlier, definitely requires some clockwork when you're on a time bounded attempt and really going all out, you have to keep all those things in check. So that's about the pacing. But before we get onto that, you know, when you started your training, what was your what was your base, you know, when you first set out to, to start training for and reaching for this record attempt. I mean, what was, you know, your, you know, 25 miles per hour, I'm sure you could have done that, you know, whether that's for one minute, 30 minutes or one hour. Tell me about that. Where were you starting? What was your starting point? And that'll give us a context in terms of what your training was and how far you had to go from start to finish to get uh, to, to the speed that you needed to for this distance.
1: Sure. Um, so I think it yeah, it was, it was, uh, mid March. Uh, I was just out on a, on a training ride. And, um, in fact, I think COVID had just hit or just, you know, become, um, an inescapable reality. And so right. I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to go do a hundred K ride fast and see what I can do just out of curiosity, no thought of a, of a record attempt. Hmm. Um, and that produced a speed of about 22 and a half. Wow. And, and um, okay, I thought, eh, that's interesting, not bad. But mm, as they say, nothing to write home about. Um, and I checked the record books just out of curiosity. And I realized, well, goodness, uh, that's right around, you know, the current look of speed for uh, 50 plus. And I thought, well, okay, if all the races are going to be canceled, I'll just go get that. It won't even be all that hard. If I focus on that distance and that event, I, I can get that. And so that started the, the training process. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, I think it was July 28th. So, less than four weeks before my attempt to snatch that record, like a you know taking candy from a baby, <laughs> out goes Dan McGee and moves that 22 and a half bar to 25. Oh my uh, Well, damn! Now I got a challenge. <laughs> um, and, and to be honest, uh, if when I did that 22 ride, if that 25 bar was there, I honestly don't think I would have thought I could, could have gotten it. Um, and I wouldn't have, I mean, I might've gone for the 60 cause that I I, I could get and did get, but the 50, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been in my sights. And so I, I'm, I'm grateful to Dan for pushing me that extra you know yard to, to try to get that. Uh, I don't think I did, but boy, did I, was it, if. If, it, if I didn't, it was within a second of lap. Right,
0: right. But definitely have set a huge um, uh, victory here for the 60-plus and a huge record that the next person that tries to uh, contest that is going to have uh, a run for their money on that one.
1: Uh, yeah, I didn't want to make it easy, but I, I had no, um, yeah. no delusion that that record is going to stand for more than, I don't know, a year or two. Uh, and certainly no more than um, the the time before Marco turns sixty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, hopefully he'll give you a, a bit a bit of time to enjoy that. Yeah. But you're right. We discussed in our last segment, mostly focused around WUCA, um, You were describing this situation today, where because of the pandemic and because a lot of events have been canceled, uh, many cyclists have been using their fitness and turning it towards record attempts. So it it seems like if anybody were to try to contest it, it would be during these times when the fitness is there, the events are not, but yet these records are, are prime for the picking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when we spoke last, I may have um, shared that we'd had uh, I, cause I remember looking back, I think I shared, we'd had uh, 28 yeah, uh, yeah. attempts, including multiples only counted as one. Um, just in the, in the, what's it been maybe two weeks since we talked last, mm-hmm. I, I think we've got another close to half a dozen new record attempt come in. So mm-hmm. yeah, it really seems to be a, a, a great solution for people, as you say, who, who had been training for a season of racing. And, and now they're wondering what to do with that fitness. It's, mm-hmm. um, and and it's, it's great that we can provide that outlet and capture that information. Uh, you know, give them the, the, the recognition that they deserve for the fitness level they've built. Um, yeah, this is going to be the year. 2020 will be the year of the records.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like we should all be joining in on the action. So, Mark, what is the process for somebody like myself or anybody that's watching to sign up and pursue a record? I mean, where should they start in terms of finding out what records are available to be set, you know, right. what they're, they're fighting towards, and then how to just kickstart the whole process?
1: Sure, uh, great question. Um, first thing I would encourage everybody to do, and you don't need to be a Woka member to do this. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's almost as easy as hitting the leaderboard on Strava. Which uh, anybody who uses Strava, I, I'm sure, when you know you see that segment that you just got your PR on, the next thing you do is you look at the leaderboard and say, how does that compare to everybody else that has been up that hill or across that straight, whatever? Anyway, go to the Wooka website. As I recall, there's a drop down that says records, and then you'll see timed records and distance records. Look up the records. I mean, start by just knowing what you're most comfortable, what you feel you can do best. Whether that's 100 kilometers, 100 miles, six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, a thousand kilometers, a thousand miles, whatever. Pick the event that you feel most trained for and most uh, adept at. Look up the records that. Are there currently, and 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 that website will show you who holds the current record for that time or distance, when it was set, how fast it was set, and the history of records before that. So,
0: um, yeah, it's not. I'm putting it up here. Yeah, why don't we walk through it real quick so that way people can see exactly how to do it, like kind of like a how-to. Sure. Um, So uh, under the records drop down, click on timed records. Okay, time records, and we're here at ultracycling.com. Right. Let that load. I'm sure there's many there in the database. Right. And uh, let's just, just for fun mm-hmm. uh, go up under record
1: type and. Oh, record type here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And click on that arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, let's see, never mind. I'll go over to distance. And
0: distance. click on that. Okay. Uh, looks like we're now in ascending order here. Yeah, it looks uh, like longer distances as we go down.
1: Oh, oh I'm sorry. It, it, yeah, you're on timed records. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, time says timed up top. Uh, I'm sorry, go back to, to, to record, the records mm-hmm. drop down and hit okay. distance records.
0: Oh, I see, okay. Um, but yeah, I see. I mean, even just here, there's, there's a yeah. ton already listed. Right. Incredible. Right. And a lot of Belgen familiar names,
1: huh? right? Marco yeah. Vallo, oh, yeah.
0: Sean Hogan, Christoph, Christoph Strasser. Yeah. Incredible. There we go. So now we're at the distance.
1: Yeah, there you go. So, uh, all right, just out of curiosity, so we know um, I did uh, about two and a half hours. There's Strasser, 100K indoor oh, track. Yeah. Right? He's the man. Two twenty, so he he finished wow. in time for a beer before I did, <laughs> and oh, wow. and uh, just a few lines lower, Bill Windhorst. That's the record that oh, okay uh, will about a week from now mm. change from Bill Windhorst, hopefully to Mark poland with two thirty or so. Mm.
0: Wow, incredible! Yeah, so we could see all of these hundred. 100- k outdoor track here's a road and at
1: 228 so i'm a couple minutes behind him oh uh, but to be fair he checked you know one thing that wuka allows you to do is if you're going for for example a thousand and marco did i believe go for a thousand kilometer record yeah, that's uh, right. without any additional cost you just check every box Hundred kilometers, a hundred miles, two hundred kilometers, two hundred miles, five hundred kilometers, five hundred miles, twenty-four hours, six hours, twelve. It doesn't pick uh, them all, yeah. and because it's just you know computer data, <laughs> right, on your yeah. timing sheet, right. and whichever and as many of those as you actually get on your way to that thousand kilometers, they're mm. yours. They're legitimate records. Uh, so you know when I say Marco uh, beat me by uh, whatever that that was two minutes. Uh, yeah, he beat me by two minutes, but then he went on to ride another, you know, 16 hours after that or 20 hours, I think it was. So Incredible. yeah, not, not, <laughs> not exactly a, a fair fight. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, very cool. I'm glad we were able to go over that. It's very interesting. And I'm sure for those who are watching and who have the fitness and are curious, we'll have a ball with that. Like you said, it's just like Strava, no different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the, anyway, that was just step one. You asked a good question there. Yeah. Uh, and I won't go through all the the, you know, the, the, short strokes of how to do it, but, um, I would say two things. Um, one is on that same website, uh, I believe under the, the, the records dropdown is something that says attempt a record. And there under that, you'll see both all the rules and uh, the process in a, in a kind of a process flow, hopefully visual, easy to understand way. Here's how you do it. You know, you fill out the application, you line up your officials, you et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of that information is there and, um, and just there for a, people
0: watching at home. So, um, just to click here so they can see. So if you go to the website and under the records dropdown, there's the attempt to record. And it seems like there's a whole bunch of resources and information that you would be able to refer to. It's so record right. attempt process, for example. And I imagine that outlines everything. Oh, very nicely. In fact, right. very cool.
1: Uh, And then the other thing more generally I would offer is if you look at that and see something that isn't clear or confusing or ambiguous, um, uh, I'll I'll share two emails that are standing by to answer your questions. Um, One is uh, records at ultracycling.com. And that will get you right into the uh, inbox of our records chairperson, um, Larry Osland, And, um, you know, he, he can answer any question you can ask. Uh, and then if there's questions or you don't get prompt response f- from him, feel free to reach out to me as well. President at ultracycling.com, uh, and, and I'm more than happy to share any hints or lessons learned that I can give you from either the, um, uh, the working side of things or from the athlete side as well.
0: Perfect. Yeah, sounds good. I'm sure there'll be a lot of other record attempts, As you mentioned, there's so many already just this year, and this is the year. So if anybody has ever been on the fence about trying to go for a record, definitely do it this year. Now, Mark, going back to about you as an athlete and all of your training, I'm curious, what was the hardest workout that you did in preparation? Maybe it was something that you did on a weekly basis or just a few times. Tell me a bit about that.
1: Uh, Okay, Uh, I'm, I'm I'll give you two parts. Uh, uh, One is hard in the sense of pushing for long. So as I said, you know, I started with that target speed and went longer and longer and every one of those, you know, the last 10 or 15 minutes are very, very hard. Um, But you get comfortable with that or or not comfortable. That's a bad word. I guess you you get accustomed to that sense of what those last 10 or 15 minutes are going to feel like. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of intellectualize and just set that aside and say, it's going to hurt. And I know it and that's fine. It should. If it doesn't, I'm not going hard enough. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's hard, but it's something that you get accustomed to. Actually, what's harder for me anyway is the trainer workouts where you're trying to push up that VO2 max, that, you know, super past your, your FTP, past your comfort zone, and just get that heart rate to the max and stay there for five minutes plus. Uh, I find that pretty hard and challenging.
0: Mm. But given that you've already done all this fitness now, you've snagged a record, still to be confirmed, but most likely you have achieved it. What is on your bucket list in terms of using this fitness now? I mean, you've built it up. I mean, you're at Prime Fitness, I would imagine. What else are you looking to do? Another record? Is there a specific event that you hope to do if they come back online either this year or next year? Tell me about that.
1: Um, Well as my wife would say, give it a rest. It was just yesterday. (laughs) Uh, But there, there there is no, you know, you, you know, you're, you're a cyclist as well. There, there's no rest. There's, there isn't a goal around the corner Then why are you riding? Mm. Um, and I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to be driven or or motivated in that way. But Mm. if you're one of those people, you, you understand that's just the way it is. Mm. And for me, uh, I'm at an interesting fork in the road. Um, I'm not going to try to go faster over a hundred K. So the question becomes, do I try to stretch that speed to a hundred miles or do I try to go shorter and do an hour, which is kind of out of the look realm, but as an athlete, it's, that's, you know, a real yardstick. Everybody knows the hour record, um, uh, Eddie Merckx made it made it famous, you know, three decades ago, and and yeah. everybody's dreamt of going after that ever since. Um, uh, the hour record for an over sixty is quite challenging; it's uh, over twenty seven miles an hour, um, but that would be an interesting stretch thing to reach for. So, we'll see. Haven't made, haven't decided yet, but I'm toying with it.
0: Yeah, no, very cool. And we'll be following your journey. Definitely would love to have you on the show when you attempt whatever record that is going to be. You. And, um, you know, glad you have all that fitness. It's nice when you have it. And I'm sure you'll find many creative and challenging ways to, to utilize and leverage the fitness that you have. Now, you talked a bit about, you know, motivation and perhaps, you know, records aren't what motivates everybody. But now I'm just wondering generally, what motivates you, aside from just this record i'm sure you 've done a lot of other cycling, you've also done other records. What personally motivates you and drives you to keep biking and to keep you know going for these ambitious goals? Uh, two things: one, first and foremost, I enjoy riding.
1: I really do, and the more I have a reason to ride hard, a goal, whether that's a record or an event, I just want to do my best. I, the best I can do at, even if I know there's no chance of winning, um, that's okay. It's still a target to shoot at. And and I get a lot of pleasure and, and, and a gratification out of just pushing myself and knowing that I, I found, uh, the best that I could, uh, in, in terms of result. That's, that's one part of that. The other part of that, and, and, and this is unique, I think to ultra cycling is that, um, any event, even as, as much as yesterday had the appearance of being a solo event, I had a crew of nine people. And um, and obviously, in, a, in a, an event like Ram, you know, you can have crews that are twice that size. Um, and that whole process of building the team, managing the team, delegating and compensating as you go, um, you know, getting the best out of everybody on the team. Uh, and I don't mean in the sense of cracking the whip. I mean, in the sense of, um, you know, showing people a a goal and seeing what they come up with and, and how their energy is sparked, uh, and how they can contribute. That's just a lot of fun. Uh, and I, and I really enjoy that. Uh, and I, and I would share one thing as an observation that, that, um, others, I think, may have had i don't know i know you you've done ram i don't know if you had this observation or not but when you sit in that parking lot at oceanside mm-hmm. and particularly the the relay teams the two four and and even the eight person relay teams you look at the demographic that's represented there and way less than you know the the quarter horses the, the studs coming out of mainstream road racing way less of a population, Um, those are way uh, less of a percentage of of the rider group than our former military, Hmm. right? Lots of groups of whether they're um, uh, army buddies or firefighters that have worked together, paramilitary type organizations. Um, There's a lot of those groups. I don't know if you noticed that, but but I did. And I thought, geez, you know, I wonder why that is. And I thought about it for a while and I talked to uh, others on, on my team who, by the way, I was the only guy that wasn't a former military uh, a person uh, on my, in my group, and including the, the woman, in fact, in a mixed gender team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer became quite clear. Uh, when you're in the military, you learn to thrive on and, and take great pleasure in that core you know, unit that's built in a military squad. Mm. Um, and that's something that's hard to replicate once you get out of the military and a relay ultra distance event, whether it's cycling, running, anything of the sort mm. is exactly that. Right. Mm. Thankfully, nobody's shooting at you when you do it. Mm. Uh, maybe Missouri has some exceptions to that, but, <laughs> uh, but as a general rule, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a peaceful and safe environment. Um, but you get that same team dynamic going and that that's really enjoyable.
0: Um, yeah, you know, the, now that you mention it, I I can't say that I have noticed the same thing in terms of military uh, ex-military personnel um, actually competing and and reaching for these goals. And it's true that by competing in ultra cycling, whether you're competing with yourself or a record or you know in an event with other people, it keeps you mentally sharp and also helps you to work on whether it's character, physical, mental, whatever the case may be, um, in ways that it's difficult to replicate. Uh, outside of ultra distances and ultra sports.
1: Yeah, you know, indulge me for one second, and I got to give a shout out to a guy who uh, is my hero in ultra cycling. And the reason he comes to mind is uh, his name is Tim Barrow, mm. and he's a, he's a former uh, Marine Corps pilot. Mm-hmm. Done RAM, you know, I, almost as many times as Marco doesn't like to ride his bike. He told me, and uh, he's a teammate uh, of mine, and, and we mm-hmm. did some, some solo races together, you know, some, some 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And he said, Mark, this just isn't for me. I don't like to ride my bike. And <laughs> that's what got me really thinking. I thought, how, how in the world, why in the world would anybody get on their bike and do Ram if they yeah. don't like to ride their bike? <laughs> he's not a pro he's not getting paid to do this in mm-hmm. fact it costs a lot of money as you no doubt yeah. experienced um and and the answer is that military uh unit cohesion right that that he just um thirsted for or hungered for uh, after getting out of the military he, he loved every bit of that even so much that he would get on his bike and ride for 10 days uh you know or seven days anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Without enjoying a moment of that part of it, uh, that's 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 kind of mind-boggling. But, um, but yeah, he he's got more experience in ram than anybody I know, and he doesn't like
0: to ride his bike. Wow, incredible! Yeah, there's always uh, different motivations and drivers there behind, and and it's true, you know, there are all the challenging aspects and the the self-building, the character-building. But at the same time, there's also the social component that's come up a lot, you know, just in terms of being a part of the ultra family, the ultra community, it's close knit, very supportive. Everybody knows the struggle. We're out there on the front line, so to speak. And so there's a lot of respect along the lines of that, you know, in terms of your support team, you said you had nine people supporting you here. Who would right. you want to thank uh, and who do you want to thank, you know, both for this Specific record that you set, and then just more generally in your life for supporting you through the years in all of your ultracycling.
1: Uh, wow! Um, uh, of course, as any married ultracyclist knows, uh, there's a huge degree of patience that comes from the spouse. The number of hours of training, um, you know, the, the 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 conversation over every dinner table uh, about today the heart rate was this and the game <laughs> was that. And, you know, yeah. Come on, is there anything else to
0: life? Can I get another bicycle or a new set of wheels? <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, I got to thank my wife for her patience. Um, on the, the cycling side, I mentioned Tim Barrow. He, he's just you know the, the, the god of planning and, and team management. Uh, as far as yesterday goes, uh, I was, was really honored to have uh, team members travel all the way across the country uh, to come watch that two and a half hour silliness. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Dan Rocco, uh, my appreciation for that, um, in terms of the, the, the day itself and the ride itself, I mentioned Gabe West on that motorcycle. Uh, he was both the crew chief and the, the moto man, as I call him, mm-hmm. uh, not to be confused with the tour de France and Lance Armstrong moto man, <laughs> yeah. uh, he was delivering some other uh, fuel products. <laughs> yeah. Um, Uh, But now Gabe West did a wonderful job in both roles as, as moto and as a crew chief. Uh, So I appreciate that. Um, And uh, yeah, those are, I guess those are the top of the list. Mm,
0: Fantastic. Now, Mark, we've talked a lot about ultra cycling, many aspects of it, but you know, perhaps there's aspects we haven't discussed. And for those who either are non-cyclists or non-ultra cyclists, what would you want to tell them? I mean, what do you think most people don't realize about ultracycling?
1: Oh, uh, you know, th- th- that's an easy one. It's the, um, in, in, to use the, the business term, uh, barriers to entry. Mm. Uh, that uh, means anything to you for, uh, for, for those who don't, um, uh, for whom it doesn't. Um, barriers Barriers to entry is a term that describes the uh, economic fence around a particular business right mm. so for example uh, you know if you want to get into the wood carving business you need a pen knife and a stick of wood mm. if you want to not much barrier to entry there you want to get into the cell phone business because you know apple makes a lot of money and you'd like to get some of that for yourself well there's some barriers to entry there you need a supply chain that reaches out around the globe you need distribution you know big barriers to entry mm. well To answer the question, a lot of people look at ultra cycling and think, geez, you know, I've never even ridden 100 miles. How could I possibly think of riding 1,000 miles? There is no barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. If you can ride 25 miles, you obviously have a bike. You probably have bike shorts. (laughs) Uh, You know, go from 25 to 50. And when you can do 50, you know, it's not that far to go 100 Mm -hmm. And when you've done a few hundreds, go 200. Mm -hmm. When you've done a couple 200s, go 1,000. There's no barrier there other than your own sense of that boundary that is, you know, what you imagine to be the hurdle that you couldn't think of getting past. So I think that's something that most people don't realize about ultra cycling is it's really an approachable sport. So I would be asked by people, how could you possibly ride your bike for 24 hours? And I'd say, well, uh, let me help you relate. Could you run for 24 hours? Nope. Couldn't do that. Okay. I accept that. Could you walk for 24 hours? Well, yeah, I'd probably get tired and take a break now and then, but I could walk for 24 hours. Mm. Okay. So the only difference is to you running is kind of in the orange, but walking is in the green. And when you've trained enough, I can ride at a pace that's in the green. Don't Mm. think I'm out there doing 25 miles an hour uh, for 24 hours. I'm not. Marco's doing that. I'm not. I'm I'm a (laughs) you know, at best a 20 mile an hour guy yeah. and, and not even that for, for 24 hours. Mm. Um, but you back that off to, you know, 16, 17 miles an hour. Yeah. Not, not really a problem. That that's my walking speed in and, you know, comparison or in as analogy to that person who's never been in, on their bike for 24 hours. And when you think about it that way that, you know, it, it's just, you got to throttle back, you got to go walking pace, not running pace, mm. not unapproachable it's not a bridge too far it's something that anybody who likes to ride their bike can do
0: yeah very good yeah well said mark and it's very true it really is just you know you have to have the mindset of of one pedal stroke at a time and and i suppose that also relates to just the general idea of pacing whether that's for an event or whether that's for a cycling career and i know just you know if if i may share a bit about my story you know when I started, really, uh, I, I, I began as a, a runner all through middle school, high school. You know, I was the, the team captain and those kinds of things. But then going into college, my brother wanted to do triathlons. And so, you know, I had to pick up a bike. And I remember it feeling so odd to me to have to put on some spandex and hop on this two wheeled thing and do this bicycling thing. It, it just seemed very strange, you know, for a runner where you're just minimal, you're just wearing shorts and going out for a run with a watch or something. And I was literally, well, I was training for some time for triathlons. But then afterwards, after college, when I resumed biking, I had a short period where I stopped. I was just literally biking 10 or 15 miles a couple times a week. And and I had heard about things like the Race Across America. And, you know, I've heard of people biking from San Francisco to Los Angeles, things like that. But, you know, those are very much bucket list type of things like, geez, it would be cool to achieve. Not sure that I ever will achieve that. And then I had this opportunity. You know, I started ultracycling about 2011. Then 2013, I had my first opportunity to bike from uh, the uh, San Francisco area down to LA, and and I was. By like, the wow. way,
1: that's one of the, I believe that's one of the city pairs that's on the Wuka Records database. Look it up.
0: Okay, I will. Uh, one of my favorite courses, uh, actually, believe it or not, there's several routes you can take, and it's just a beautiful ride. And is for those who have ridden in California and the Pacific Coast Highway (PCH) as it's known, or Highway One. Uh, Just breathtaking views. And in any case, I had the opportunity to ride uh, down to LA. It was about 450 miles. And I never imagined myself doing something like that, even in my lifetime. But I was able to do that after several years. And once I did that, I realized, oh, you know, geez, 450 miles, you know, maybe I could do 900. And Mm -hmm. just as you go from one distance to the next, you know, one step at a time, one pedal stroke at a time you realize that, you know, the people that are accomplishing these things, you know, some are crazier than others. But at the end of the day, like you mentioned, anybody can do it. The barriers to entry are very low. All you need is a willingness and a bicycle, really. And I guess right. maybe a helmet also. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. The, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly more of a barrier to entry than running. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you know, it's not car racing. Right. Uh, it's not airplane racing. You know, it, it right, is. Yeah. And, and, and let me be clear Um, if you're somebody who can't afford a $10,000 bike, I promise you, uh, you know, you can get a bike that will do this for a thousand or even less. And the difference between that performance and the performance you'd enjoy on a $10,000 bike, Mm. it's pretty small. Mm. It really is.
0: I would second that. My first bicycle that I bought was under a thousand entry level specialized bicycle. I think I rode my first 20 or 25 miles, uh, sorry, 20 or 25 double centuries on that. And that was just, um, you know, a, an aluminum bike and it served its purpose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, That, that, by the way, that, since we're on that, that, that bike that I was riding yesterday, Mm. um, pretty slick looking aerodynamically carbon fiber. Uh, if I could have any bike in the world other than, you know, custom 3d printed bike for, for my body, that would be the one that I would, would pick. And Mm. I had a thousand dollars in that bike, not including the wheels, but the, you know, the frame and everything on it, thousand dollars.
0: Incredible. All right, Mark, well, you've accomplished a lot. We've discussed a lot about you as an athlete and you've achieved other records. And it sounds like, you know, there's 50 years behind you in terms of bicycling altogether, but it really sounds like you're just getting started. So you know, I'm super excited to keep following your journey, especially through 2020 and probably even into 2021 to see what other records you go for yourself, and and what other events you you go for with the fitness that you have. Um, Last question that I have for you before we wrap this up: What do you want to be known for as an ultra cyclist? When all is said and done, you've had your attempts at different records, you've set them, you've done a variety of big events. What do you want to be known for?
1: Um, I'm gonna very curveball on that. Uh, this is probably not what you're expecting to hear. Mm. Um, I'd rather be known as uh, a coach and mentor than as a rider. Um, mm. uh, you know, it, it takes a certain success at writing to have credibility in coaching and mentoring. Mm. Um, but at the end of, not the day, the end of the year, the moments that are most memorable to me mm. are the ones where Somebody came to me and said, you know, I've gone 100 miles, but I've never gone 100 miles fast or I've never gone 200 miles or I can't climb or I can't do this and I can't do that. Can you help me? And, uh, you know, I run some occasional, very informal training camps and, and I do a little bit of coaching uh, and, and to help see that light come on in other people's minds that says, oh, yeah, I guess I can do that. Um, that that's really gratifying for me. I enjoy that.
0: Yeah, no, that's really unique and special and a great answer. And I think it also gives more context for, from our last episode, discussing your role as president of the World Ultra Cycling Association, where, you know, a big mission that you have is promoting cycling and empowering cyclists, whether a non, non-cyclist or an existing one, to attempt ultra cycling events, distances, and other records as well. So, uh, you know, I would say that I'm glad somebody like you is sitting in that position there at Wuke. I think it gives myself comfort in knowing that, you know, you definitely have all of us, uh, you know, at the center of your heart and mission for the organization. So it's been a real pleasure, Mark, to be able to, uh, you know, learn about you in the previous episode about your role at Wuke and all that you do for cyclists in the way of records as well. And it's also been great chatting with you about your your record achievement. And again. Just a big congratulations on it. I'm sure there was a lot of celebrations uh, in order after after the record yesterday. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I want to, uh, as I said this uh, last time, but I'll say it again, I want to
1: thank mm-hmm. you for uh, creating the, the channel that allows ultracycling to, you know, uh, connect those of us who've been at it for a little while with those who are on the fringe and thinking, oh, that barrier to entry thing, that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should give that a try. So, my, my thanks to you for, for making that communication possible.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, likewise, thank you for taking the time to be able to share, and I'm sure we'll be able to collaborate a lot more going forward and, and, and push out a lot of useful resources that all of us, whether experienced or not experienced, uh, will be able to, uh, you know, uh, leverage, uh, for ourselves to better our, our own selves, better our own cycling careers and reach our ambitions and goals, just as you did. So thanks for being an inspiration and also a mentor to so many, and we'll look forward to following your journey, Mark. Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you got a lot of inspiration from today's chat with Mark. And doesn't matter what age you are, you know, what kind of bicycle you're riding, you can also achieve a record. So definitely visit ultracycling.com. Look for your next record attempt, and we'll be excited to have you on the show. Until then, keep spinning ultra, everyone.